Lee and Frank were very different people. Lee was a free-spirited artist, and Frank was a by-the-numbers businessman. But, but they brought out the best in each other, and they were a very happily married couple. When Frank retired, they decided to downsize and simplify their lives, so they sold off a lot of their stuff, and they moved to a smaller home in a different city. But tragically, they'd only been in that new home for just a few weeks when Frank was diagnosed with cancer. And it progressed rapidly, and soon he became physically weak and housebound. And so Lee's days became filled with feeding Frank and helping him to the bathroom and giving him his medications. At first, she was able to get out of the house for a few hours each day to do shopping and errands and maybe just to take a walk and get some fresh air. But, but as Frank became increasingly dependent, Lee became increasingly afraid to leave him alone. And so she grew increasingly weary. They had no family to help them. They had no friends in their new town, and they couldn't afford paid caregivers, so Lee felt isolated and helpless. And yet in her long hours alone, something started to stir within her. She started to develop a sense of spiritual hunger, and she began wondering about God. She began to read the Bible. And as she read the scriptures, she read about the caring and nurturing nature of Jesus and the caring and nurturing nature of the church. She wondered if the church might somehow help her with Frank. Well, there was a church a couple of blocks down the street on the corner, so she decided to give them a call. And she spoke to the minister and said, I'm new in the neighborhood, and and I'm wondering, is there someone in your church who could come by my house for a few hours each week and just sit with my husband who has cancer? The minister said, "I, I don't think I've ever met you. Have you been to Sunday services? And Lee said no, and he said, well, well, then I want to come over and talk to you and Frank about our services and the programs of our church. And Lee said, well, I'm not really interested in that right now. I'm, I'm housebound because of my husband's illness, and I would like to visit your church sometime, but what I really re- need right now is just some help. Can someone come and sit with my husband just an hour or two each week and give me a break? And the minister said, well, well, we care for our members, our members, through a network of small home groups. And, and if you come to church this Sunday, then we'll see if maybe perhaps we can get you into a small group. And Lee once again tried to communicate her need. And the minister said he'd see what he could do, but he wasn't hopeful. And he took down her name and number, but he never called her back. On Sunday morning, Lee watched out her window as several of her new neighbors left their homes and walked down the street to go attend worship at that church on the corner. Later, when they returned home, she stood out on her porch and she waved at them as they walked by. Some of them acknowledged her and smiled and said, good morning, and she replied. Yet none of those people ever stopped by to meet their new neighbor. And so Lee sat alone in her house with no friends and no help. She and Frank were in the midst of an unplanned, undeserved tragedy, and they desperately needed someone to step into their lives with some love and care. 
And the community of faith was near. There were believers all around them, yet none of those believers ever helped or even knew Lee and Frank. Lee and Frank were unloved neighbors. This is a very sad story. And yet it's far too easy for this kind of thing to happen. And when it does, I believe that it breaks the heart of Jesus because he wants his followers to find ways to extend his love to people who are in need. He wants us to avoid making this mistake. And to make sure that we get the message, he tells a very well-known parable. It's a story called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus tells that story precisely so we will know who our neighbor is. And he wants to show us how a good neighbor lives. So I'd like us to listen to this story from the book of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And as we listen to this story, let's watch it unfold on the screen. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jericho to Jerusalem, excuse me, Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you. As we just heard, this episode begins with a man who has some questions and he's approaching Jesus to get answer to those questions. We're told that this man is an expert in the details of the Jewish law, which means that he's a religious scholar. He knows the scriptures. He understands how the prominent rabbis interpret the scriptures. And this religious lawyer now wants to know what Jesus thinks. Because Jesus has proved himself to be a profound teacher of truth. And so he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he so often does, throws a question back at him. Jesus says, I want to know what you think. And we find the lawyer's response here in verse 27. And the lawyer cites the biblical command to love God and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And after listening to this, Jesus essentially says, great answer. Now just do it. In other words, Mr. Bible scholar, 
This is not an academic discussion. Coming up with the right answer is meaningless unless you live it out. However, the lawyer doesn't like hearing this because, as we read in verse 29, he wants to justify himself. So what does that mean? It means that the lawyer does not want Jesus to define neighbor very broadly. Because if Jesus does that, then this lawyer might have to actually love some people that he would rather not love. He wants to be able to view himself as a righteous man, yet without having to do anything really difficult or uncomfortable. He wants to love the people he chooses to love, and he wants spiritual reasons to justify that behavior. So his hope is that Jesus will define the word neighbor in a very narrow way. And his hopes are based on reality because sadly there were some spiritual leaders in his day who would do just that. And here's just one example. Some rabbis said that if you discovered a Gentile woman in childbirth who was alone and who needed help, you should ignore her. Why? Because if you helped her, you'd be guilty of bringing another Gentile into the world. And we Jews certainly don't need any more of those kind of people around. Now, not all Jewish people believe that. We need to understand that. Yet there were some who did. Some people bought into this idea that they did not have to show God's love to everyone. And the lawyer talking to Jesus evidently falls into this camp. He wants to justify his desire to avoid dealing with people that he considers to be undesirable. And he's hoping that Jesus will endorse that view. It's the problem of self-justification. We want to justify our actions, but then if we're spiritually minded, we want to take it a step farther and we want God to endorse our preferred behavior. I think that's an ongoing human problem. I find myself wondering if we ever act like this. Are there times when we might withhold love and help and care from people who don't fit into our preferred categories? Do we, like this religious lawyer, sometimes look for ways to spiritually justify our biases? I mean, it's one thing to say, I refuse to love you. It's very different to say, I refuse to love you, and God says it's okay for me to feel that way and act that way. That's a trap. And Jesus wants this lawyer and us to avoid that trap. And so he gives a very clear answer to this timeless question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer comes in the form of a parable. Like all parables, it is a made-up story, yet it's based on real-life circumstances. And this parable begins with the story of a tragic victim of undeserved circumstances as he travels the Jericho Road, heading from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as we see here in verse 30, he's beaten and he's left by the side of the road. Now, here's what we need to know about the Jericho Road. It is a well-known, well-traveled road. Jerusalem, the capital, is a very crowded city. It's an expensive place to live. 
So many people prefer to live in Jericho, which is about 20 miles away. Many priests and Levites live in Jericho, and, and they become kind of like seasonal commuters as they travel back and forth between Jerusalem and Jericho several times a year to perform their religious duties. Merchants also regularly travel back and forth along this road as they conduct business in each city. And everyone who travels this road faces a certain amount of risk. Now, we understand risk. When we get on the road to take a trip, we face a certain amount of risk. Our risk looks like maybe a traffic jam or a breakdown or perhaps an accident. On the Jericho Road, the risk is robbery. Robbers love this road because it's narrow, it's rocky, it's got lots of twists and turns where thieves can hide and then pounce on unsuspecting travelers. Many people make the trip safely, but some don't. It's a case where there's a very real risk, but it's a risk that must be taken because there's no other reasonable route. And so the lawyer listening to Jesus is not surprised when the story begins with this man who's robbed and beaten. It's a familiar story. What we really need to see, though, is it describes a consequence that the man does not deserve. No one going about their own business deserves to be treated like this. And yet the reality of life, a reality we all have experienced, is that sometimes we are the victim of undeserved circumstances, undeserved consequences. And when that happens, what we need most is mercy. Mercy. Because mercy in the Bible always involves some sort of rescue and restoration, either from deserved or undeserved consequences. Have you ever been rescued from undeserved consequences? I have. On many occasions. One of the most vivid examples in my life took place many years ago when I was riding my mountain bike on a remote trail. It was 90 miles from home. I was riding alone. And I was going downhill on this trail about 30 miles an hour when all of a sudden I had to swerve a little bit to get out of the way of a, of a rock that was in my path. And as I swerved, I clipped a nearby fence on the edge of the trail and it caught my handlebars. My bike stopped and I was flung right over the handlebars and I landed right on my head, crushing my helmet. I bounced a couple of times, wound up laying flat on my stomach, and I could not move. I discovered later that I had fractured my back and my left elbow. Now, I was riding fast, but I had not been riding foolishly, and yet here I was. I was badly injured. I was lying on the ground helpless, and I needed some mercy. And by the grace of God, I was discovered in just a few minutes by a group of six friends who were out for a ride together that day. One of them immediately jumped down off his bike and began to talk to me, and I learned that he was an off-duty paramedic. How's that for a little divine appointment? And he got on his radio and called the paramedics to come get me in a four-wheel drive ambulance, and he performed what first aid he could, and he talked with me and let me know that I wasn't alone while we waited for help. Meanwhile, his friends realized They're going to come take this guy away, and there's this little crowded ambulance, and he's got a really nice mountain bike sitting here, and we don't want to leave it by the side of the trail where it might get stolen. 
So they disassembled it so that it could fit in the ambulance and go with me. (laughs) And then the paramedics arrived, and these six people helped their paramedics get me and my bike stowed in the ambulance, and they wished me well as I drove away. And later that day, they phoned the hospital to talk with me to see how I was doing and to see if I had any needs that could be met. Because if I was there alone and in need, they wanted to come and help meet those needs. I was rescued from some undeserved consequences. I was shown mercy by some complete strangers who chose in that moment to be good neighbors. What I experienced lying on that bike path is exactly what this man lying on the Jericho Road needs. And yet it's absolutely astounding that the first two people to pass by, a priest and a Levite, do not stop to help. Why don't these holy men choose to be good neighbors? Jesus doesn't say. But we can make some educated guesses. It might be that they're on a schedule. They may be in a hurry to get home and take care of business there, and they don't want their journey interrupted. In other words, they might be like us. Or we put our schedules at the top of our list. And if we do that, if they did that, we're valuing our personal convenience more than the needs of a stranger. It might be that they don't want to touch the body of this stranger because it's covered with blood and that would make them ritually unclean and the purification process is lengthy and tedious. But if that's their reasoning, once again, it's saying my personal comfort and convenience is more important than the needs of a stranger. Or perhaps they're thinking, maybe the outlaws are still nearby. It might be risky for us to stop. I find myself wondering if these kind of thoughts go through their head. Yes, this man might die, but it won't be my fault if he does. I can't take the risk. It's better to just pass on by. Whatever the reason, they choose not to extend mercy. And we need to realize that loving people who need mercy involves some cost. We may have to spend time and effort or money or risk. And if we're going to be merciful, we need to absorb that cost. And sometimes, if we're honest, we're just not willing. And because of the way Jesus tells the story, we realize that sometimes even spiritual leaders people like priests and Levites, they don't understand the heart of God as clearly as they should. Their behavior reminds me of the minister that talked with Lee on the phone and couldn't, couldn't find a way to help get somebody from the church down to her house to give her some relief a few hours a week as she tried to care for her cancer-ridden husband. Spiritual leaders are not exempt from making poor decisions and missing the opportunity to be good neighbors. So this is a very pointed story. And to make it even more pointed, Jesus picks a Samaritan to be the merciful rescuer. And the lawyer wouldn't like that because he's been taught to look down on Samaritans. The Jewish people view Samaritans as impure half-breeds. They are people of a different ethnicity and a different faith 
So you should keep your distance and have as little contact with those kind of people as possible. And sadly, those attitudes can take hold of people. Would we ever withhold mercy from a person in need because their race or their ethnicity or their religion is different than ours? I hope not. I hope not. And yet, for this lawyer, the Samaritan is precisely the kind of person he would prefer not to love. And I think as this lawyer listens to Jesus tell the story, he would be struck by something profound. He would realize that if the Samaritan was the one lying there, I'd probably pass him by. And yet, the Samaritan wouldn't pass me by. Because in this story, he displays the heart of God. It's this Samaritan who demonstrates the loving mercy of a good neighbor. And this message from this story gets through to this scholar. Whatever biases and prejudices he may have, he is honest enough to see the truth of what Jesus says. And he admits it at the end of the story as this incident wraps up in verses 36 and 37. Notice, notice that the lawyer does not say that the Samaritan is nice or kind or gracious. The lawyer recognizes that the Samaritan is merciful. Mercy is so much more than kindness because mercy involves rescue and restoration, which always comes at a cost. And it's very clear that the Samaritan pays a price for helping the wounded man. He interrupts his own schedule. He cares for the man, giving him the common first aid treatment of the day. And because the victim is weak, he he walks while he puts the Samaritan on his donkey. And then he takes him to an inn and he pays for his lodging. And he says, I'm going to come back and check on him later. And if there's any balance due for food and shelter, I'll take care of it. He goes out of his way to be merciful. Kind of reminds me of the people who took care of me on the bike path. And there's huge sacrifice for the Samaritan in doing all of this. There's no overt reward. None. Except for the reward of knowing that he's done the right thing. Jesus tells us this story so we will see the Samaritan as a vivid example of what it means to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Which, remember, is how the story began. Who is my neighbor? How do I treat my neighbor? The Jewish lawyer now sees this so much more clearly. And so Jesus urges this man to follow the example of the Samaritan by living with an attitude of mercy. I think he's telling him, I want you to go through life looking for opportunities to be a good neighbor to anyone, wherever, and whenever possible. Go and do likewise. I believe those words from Jesus are not just for this lawyer. I believe they're for us. I find myself wondering, what might this look like in your life and in mine? How do we live as good neighbors today? 
Well, let's consider this. Perhaps there's a person we know, someone in our family, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone who's in need of some mercy. Maybe they need to be rescued and restored from some unplanned or unintended or even undeserved consequences. And if so, how might we step into their lives? How might we let the Holy Spirit work in us and through us so we can extend God's love to them? That's for people that we know, but but what about someone we don't know? Now, if we find a stranger lying in the road, as the Samaritan did, it's pretty obvious that there's a need, and I would hope that we'd find it difficult to pass by and do nothing. But as I pondered the story of Jesus, as I thought about Lee and Frank and their story, here's what occurred to me. What if the wounded person is not lying visibly in the road, but what if they're sitting inside a house down the street from you or me in our neighborhood? Perhaps they're wounded by loneliness and they need a friend. Perhaps they're spiritually wounded and they need someone who can just come into their life and love them and help them find their way to God. Or perhaps, just perhaps, maybe there's someone in your neighborhood or mine who is like Lee and Frank. People who are strangers in their own neighborhood. Alone and in desperate need of some mercy. I find myself asking, can you and I step out of our ruts and our routines and look for opportunities to get to know our neighbors? Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do So how about this? In the year ahead, let's strive to do what Jesus asks. Let's try to be more like the Samaritan because there are people around us who are in need of mercy. And let's ask God to show us how we can be good neighbors to them so that through us, they can experience the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ.